the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky team, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. And welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning to you as well. Happy Columbus Day. And and welcome back. You you weren't with us. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hope all is well, Henry. Good to hear your voice. Thank you. Thank you. That, that makes me my day. Thank you. And and last but not least, former counsel to the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee and author of Twilight of Empire, W. H. Weiscarver. Hi, Bill. Welcome back. Good morning, Tom, and uh, 
Paul. Henry, good to be hey, back. Hey, Bill. Good to have you here. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> well, I always start out with a few uh, quotes, and, and, and the first one is always uh, fashioned after Flint-based comedian Mark Bondo's Facebook feature, Finish the Joke. We open Armchair Politics with Finish the Quote, and it goes like this. This is where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? Bad news isn't wine. It doesn't what? Hmm. It, it well, doesn't uh, approach the truth. Doesn't rise. Reflect the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, it, it's a tough one to figure out, but a lot of fun and, and appropriate uh, for a couple of reasons. Bad news isn't wine. It doesn't improve with age. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And and you know who said that? Who? Colin Powell. Oh, oh, oh man, Colin Powell. And I thought in honor of his recent passing and with tomorrow being Veterans Day, um, it seemed kind of appropriate to open up today with. Um, Thank you, Tom, for that. That ingratiates our whole nation. Thank you. Yeah. Well, then the next quote, the one that caught my attention this week. Um, Tonight we took a monumental step forward as a nation. Mm, Joe uh, Biden? Yeah, it was It was Joe Biden, and it was exactly that. It was final passage of a massive public works bill Friday providing President Joe Biden what had increasingly seemed like a vanishing ideal, a major bipartisan accomplishment that has the power to improve the lives of millions of Americans. Does this pave the way for passage of the President's economic package known as the Build Back Better Act? Uh, no. That's going to be a tougher sell. That's going to be a tougher sell. We'll see what happens, but like I say, by decoupling it, it's, it's, it's going to make it even tougher in some ways. That's one reason why some of the progressives bailed out on this, because <clears throat> they, they, they figured once they weren't tied together, the chance of getting that build back better built there was, was somewhat less. So it's going to be a tough sell, I think. But it's too <clears throat> much for Americans to imagine how to pay that back and what it does to our infrastructure, what it does to our account, how we prepare for our uh, accounts that uh, reflect our savings for our retirement and stuff like that. That is all a consideration. How our money will rank with Chinese money and others, what the Chinese and others are trying to destage the dollar. A lot of people have thought about this. Hey, and a lot of Democrats have thought about it. Hey, Bill, yeah. what, what do you think about um, the fact that they separate those, that they separated those two things? Did that at least open up an opportunity for the president to claim a victory? Well, I think so. That, he, that he, he did get the ability to claim the victory, but the victory was follow in that everything that he had talked about, uh, specifically going to the citizens of the United States, um, they cut all that out and then it's all disappeared. The money is now being kept again in the in the federal government, big bank, and the Fed trioka there, and that's why that's why you know we're seeing uh, last uh, 
we've seen a 6.5% rise in the inflation, and the reason why that has over, just over the last 12 months, and the reason why that's happening is because this money was being distributed to the people, and so they're trying to siphon that off, and that's exactly what's happened now again in that cutting that out, uh, the people aren't going to get what they want, and you're looking at this the, the infrastructure bill, you're oh. looking at money that aren't going to be spent for over 10, 15 years, and it has to be appropriated every year. Um, it has to be reappropriated every year through through the budget committee and through the appropriations committee. So, you know, I I, I think it's it's sad that that exactly what he has said he was going to do, he has again had to give that away. Instead of sitting down there and everybody sharpening the pencil and saying what needs to be done in the immediate this year, next year, um, taking it from there. Well, here's you know, a, I was, go ahead. I was going to go I was going to say that you know one one problem with the, the whole build back better thing is that it was so ill defined. I mean, it was kind of a Christmas yeah. tree. it is it's kind of a Christmas tree build. It includes all kind of projects and, and goals. I often wonder if they wouldn't have done wouldn't do better if they you know put them out individually. You know, here's a thing for for childcare. Here's a thing for community college tuition. Here's a thing for some other project. I, I I don't know, but I wonder if that wouldn't fly better than just rolling everything together, where an awful lot of Americans had no idea really what was in this in that bill. Well, I've always I, I, I would that. totally agree with that, and, and that is that's always that's always been the problem. And, you know, people, um, you, you can like it or dislike it. Uh, the um, uh, Obamacare, the Health Act, is a perfect example. Uh, that that thing was being negotiated back and forth in, in the Senate and House for eight months. The medical profession and, and the medical pharmaceutical industry was pouring a million dollars a day in campaign contributions to to the the Senate and what we ended up with, I mean, you know, basically we wanted 20 percent of the of Americans did not have uh, adequate health care. Okay, that's fine. So let's fix that. And what we ended up with was uh, a thirty thousand a thirty thousand page regulatory uh, uh, law that is almost impossible to figure out. And and this is exactly what they've done. On a smaller version, but this is exactly what's happened with this latest legislation. Well, Ted Kennedy was still alive when they started debating that bill, and he advised to break it up, to take it in smaller pieces. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they of course didn't didn't listen to him. And uh, then we ended up with that famous quote from Nancy Pelosi: "We have to we have to pass it to know what's in it." <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well, here's here's another quote that caught my attention this week. The Michigan House of Representatives will soon have four vacancies, the most in at least thirty years. Mm. I know the governor has weighed in on that issue. Well, I'm I, sure. I, I I I don't bring bring these up to stump you. It was Michigan House Speaker Jason Wentworth, a oh, Republican okay. from Falwell. <clears throat> And he's calling on Governor Whitmer to uh, call special elections to fill House vacancies after three House members won elections for other positions 
last week. Michigan House Republicans still have a majority in the House, but lost two of their members to the Senate following uh, wins that Tuesday. Will these vacancies have any short-term impact on legislation with a smaller GOP majority in Lansing? Hmm. <clears throat> well, if, if, if Whitmer could peel off a couple of Republican or two, it, she might have a chance. I'm not sure it's going to change much in the long run because uh, things are so so aligned along party lines. But I suppose it gives her a little better shot at peeling off a Republican or two and getting an occasional majority vote. I, I would like I, I'd, I'd like to hear uh, Henry and Paul's concept of you know there again I'm I'm not from that part of the world and I'm just wondering why is that happening why are oh, why this, are these vacancies opening up well what what happened uh, Bill was uh, a week ago Tuesday there was an election and some <coughs> of these uh, some of these members ran for. Uh, Seats. There was a state representative that won a, a, a race for mayor in Dearborn, and uh, a couple of other races, and I, I can't remember them all. But you know, just just so it puts it in context a little bit for you, Bill, um, these are people who won seats and have to give up their seats in the house. And term limits. Well, it's and, and, and the governor being accused of, of of kind of slow walking the in a special election. Yeah. On the assumption that it'll, that'll, you know, keep a few Republicans out of the House for a little while. Um, yeah, it seems kind of divisive, but uh, and we, that is not the t traditional role that we do. But this is a political role, and I think people are tired of the division and the politics. Yeah, of the of four the, vacancies, three uh, yeah. created by the elections to other seats, three were Republicans and one was a Democrat. And I suppose that could start a whole different conversation about how Republicans did a week ago Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so. and, any, other, uh, any other thoughts on that? No, but I, I, I appreciate Bill asking us to weigh in on this, both Paul and me. Thank you. Well, I, I, it, it, it's, it's interesting because especially in my experience, especially from the, at, at the local level, at the state level, um, politics is usually kind of takes a backseat to, geez, what, what, does, uh, what does my neighbor, you know, or what does uh, my local grocer, uh, what's his problems? And I, I think it's one of the one of the real issues that even now at the local level, um, that that people are you know tending to look at everything from a political standpoint, Republican Democrat, um, and that we are against we're against you, you're against us, and and I'm I'm wondering you know what happened. Um, Old timers like us, I, I think all of us are, are pretty much in the same. You know, we kind of remember when. Uh, well, the trains ran on time. You know, there's always been <laughs> yeah. there's always been true, true. The trains ran on time because soon, sooner or later somebody said, "Okay, uh, we got to take care of this." Hey, speaking uh, of trains running on time, I have to take a short break here, so we'll. Uh, stand aside for a few moments let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break if you're streaming us we have some messages as well but we'll be back everybody's doing 
it on Brand New Dance Now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place 
with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show and welcome back, everybody, as we continue our weekly roundtable armchair politics with roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, joined by former government official and author Bill Weiscarver. Um, you know, just before the break, uh, Bill was talking a little bit about the importance of local politics. And uh, I know Mark Everson, when he joins us from Mississippi, he always gets a kick out of Flint politics. Well, <laughs> the, the newly elected Flint City oh, yeah. Council will have to wait before members get to work. The council's meeting, scheduled for 7.30 p.m. this past Monday, was canceled about an hour before it was scheduled to begin after Genesee County Clerk John Gleason questioned the validity of any action the new council might take because the results of the November 2nd election haven't been certified by the County Board of Canvassers. Earlier Monday, all nine members of the council took the oath of office before Genesee District Court Judge David Gwynn, an action Gleason also questioned because election results aren't yet official. But about an hour after the swearing-in ceremony, uh, Gleason said in a news conference that any meeting of the new members would be illegal. The city charter also calls for the city council to meet at 7.30 p.m. on the first Monday following the certification of the election. Flint City Clerk Inez Brown told them live the Flint Journal Monday afternoon that the city charter was followed in scheduling the oath um, ceremony and the meeting on Monday despite the election remaining uncertified. The normal process is the way we just did it, said Brown, who declined to comment further. Gleason said he was disappointed to see Flint had held an oath of office ceremony and was planning to hold a meeting. He said city attorneys should have known this was not legal. Should the newly elected uh, council members as well as the incumbents and appointed city officials familiarize themselves with the new city charter? They were constitutional <laughs> experts. Already. I saw that, I just shook my head and said, oh no, not, more, not one more story out of Flint again <laughs> uh, with government. We're going to be kind of the Florida of, of governmental mismanagement. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and also, uh, Gleason played a, a, a role. He recognized it real quickly, and he says, hey, follow the law. Well, you know, and that's all we should. That's all we can hope for is that we follow the law. And you and would think, as happened. long as Inez Brown has been the city clerk, that she would have known better than to respond with, that's the way we've always done it. What, yeah. happened, what happened was the charter changed the language from a meeting immediately following the election to a meeting immediately following the certification of an, an election. Right. So perhaps yeah. the, the council members and uh, other city officials should get an audio copy of the charter <laughs> on <laughs> <Yeah>. CD <laughs> from the Tom <laughs> Sumner program because we read the entire thing for a program yeah. once and, and I edited it and put it together in a Three CD package, yeah. so maybe it's you should available. give them a gig for, for for their swelling in. You should give them a gift of the charter. <laughs> now you understand why the council is so dysfunctional. Oh, know the protocols. 
And this is a brand new council starting off this way. That's that's what I shake my head about. Yeah. Well, two mm. two interesting things to mention about the city council is there are six new members. Two of the three incumbents that real that were reelected were unopposed. Right. And um, or at least on the ballot, they had write-in opposition, but that didn't go anywhere. And the other thing that's interesting is for the first time in the history of the Flint City Council, it is majority women. That's right. Six, six women and three men, I believe. Isn't that the breakdown? I think it is. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that might no, be good for a change. Now, now, one question I had is I wonder, did, did Gleason wait to the last minute to inform them of the uh, of the follow-up, or was he aware of that earlier? I mean, I, I, I was watching the, the county board commission this morning, and I only saw a little, a very brief part of it. Oh, I think what some... happened was, I, I don't think he re- that he was aware of the fact that they were doing this swearing-in ceremony, and then it was all over the news at noon, so later that day, you know, he commented, and I remember getting an email that day, from the uh, city clerk's office canceling the meeting for that night. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw the, the posting there somewhere along the way, too. Uh, and, and I saw the posting for the swearing-in ceremony a day or two early. I'm not sure exactly when I saw it. So, I mean, the word was out that they were going to have the swearing-in ceremony. But I, I just shake my head at it. It's bizarre. You know, it's too bad about the, the new members got tagged with that imperfection and Governance there. Hey, the by the way, there, there's one other sidebar. Well, story they're getting too. a proper indoctrination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's how things work in Flint, guys. <laughs> Get used to it. <laughs> uh, there was one other issue too, though. One member of the uh, the uh, certification commission. Yeah, I've got that coming up next. Okay, uh, okay. A, well, a member. We'll save that for later. Well, no, we're we're right there. A member okay. on a related, uh, on a similar note, I, I guess the way I was going to set it up was that the city council isn't alone in not knowing their own rules. A member of the county board of canvassers says she plans to resign after learning that state election law doesn't allow elected officials to certify election results. Danielle Quinn, a member of the Mount Morris School District Board of Education, said Tuesday that she only learned of questions about her dual service that day. Quinn said no one informed her she could not be an elected official and a county canvasser at the same time, adding she is not willing to give up her position on the school board. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a handbook or manual that includes that information? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, there is. There is. City Council for Dummies or something like that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I was thinking, too, and we should remember, this is the same city that was, how many years ago was it where everybody was kicked off the ballot because they they had the wrong dates for, certi- for the certificate yeah. for uh, filing a petition? Like four years ago. The so city four years ago, after it was a few years back, I remember. Yeah. But technically, everybody was going to have to run a write-in campaign until the state legislature then changed the rules and allowed the petitions to be accepted. But the the wrong date was posted, so everybody, I think, accepted one. What happened um, was that the city clerk gave all of the candidates the wrong date for the deadline to turn on petitions. (laughs) 
and so they missed the the deadline that was mandated by the state for all of the cities and townships you know to have their uh, elections uh, qualified and there was one who ended up qualifying for the ballot because simply he had filed all of his paperwork early so he met the deadline and that was eric mays yeah that's right that's right yeah only in flint only in flint <laughs> let me ask uh, if, if i may i'd just like to ask everyone was there some pending legislation or some initiative that was uh really important that somebody start talking about right now or or was this anyway no I, this was just a case of uh somebody who uh in this particular case uh the county board of canvassers um and 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 i have to admit a little ignorance here because i'm not sure how the canvassers are elected or selected um but she was uh, she won a seat on the um, on her local school board, either while serving as or pr- just prior to becoming a member of the board of canvassers to certify elections, and she can't do both. No. And when she found out, she said she was going to quit the board of canvassers. Yeah. But but it seems like when someone is appointed or elected to that, that that they should be handed a, a, a manual or some guidelines, some rules that explain that to them instead of having somebody say, wait a minute, you can't be on two things at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you always have, uh, you know, of course, in, in the Congress, you always have what's called the parliamentarian and that you know that's when it, any of the senators you know because uh as as i'm sure you all know the uh, nobody's nobody's a uh, expert in the procedures uh, i think that kind of died with uh, probably bird and Stennis. but um the fact of the matter is you have a parliamentarian isn't there somebody uh, you know people come and go especially at the local level people come and go but they, don't, they should have some type of a parliamentarian that, that can make these decisions quickly Maybe I think I think one issue is there's often been a lot of friction between the city and the county and they don't often coordinate very well that uh, may have fed into some of this as well I don't know um, but uh, as I say it I, I think for the board of canvassers, I think each party gets a. Uh, yes, they do. Party the party likes the canvassers. Yeah. The individual parties. The Democrats have two positions out of the three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she must. She must have been elected by the party then, while yes. she was campaigning for this other position, and then she mm-hmm. won the election, and someone said, "Wait a minute, aren't you on the board of canvassers?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I was in the same position at one time when I was uh, the uh, member of yeah. the Kyle Board of Education, and I was elected to the Senior Citizens Bill, that uh, organization that they created after the the military was passed. And then um, I did read somewhere in the law that you cannot serve two positions or be paid by two position that could be in conflict with each other. So I resigned from that. 
Well, the yeah, that, that's come up on a couple of occasions. I think we've had some folks who ran for the uh, the Mod College Board of Trustees who were also on the city council or were running for city council. So that same issue has arisen in the past, too. Well, and that's one of the reasons why the new uh, Flint City Charter has reoriented the uh, the elections so that you couldn't be on the council and run for mayor at the same time. That's also true, yeah. Yeah. Well, the Flint Board of Education recently voted to invite the Charles Stewart Mott Foundation and its president and CEO Ridgeway White to pitch a plan that could send the school district in a new direction. The school board voted 6-0 to zero in late October to hear publicly about a multi-million dollar agreement that has long been rumored but never formally addressed until a version of it was leaked last April. This plan, casually referred to as Memorandum of Understanding, in its eighth form called for a partnership between the District Foundation, Genesee Intermediate School District, and multiple other organizations that would secure millions of dollars in funding from the foundation, state, and city to build five school buildings and renovate two others. A highlight of the plan at the time was dedicating $90 million from Mott Foundation and state funding to construct an 1,800-student new state-of-the-art high school at the Flint Central site. Board member Laura McIntyre made a motion to invite White which was seconded by Joyce Ellis McNeil, those two, uh, President Carol McIntosh, Adrian Walker, and new members Chris Del Maroney and uh, Alan Gilbert all voted in favor. Board member Danielle Green was absent. Does it seem like the Flint Board of Education has been playing a little too hard to get? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, did you notice know yeah. you know the language here uh, from the Mott Foundation? was that it was not dedicated to Flint schools. It was dedicated to the ISD, which is composed of 21 school districts. Uh, so no matter what Flint does, uh, it, it will still go on. Flint had to, you're right, they may have been playing too close, to the, the cards too close to the chest and didn't uh, realize that. But that was going to go in spite of what Flint did. Yeah, I think so. I, mean, I think the Flint school system is in a situation now where they're they're really cratering. I mean, if they don't if they don't do something, I, I have some serious questions about how well whether they'll survive or not. I mean, they're losing students to, you know, in in huge numbers every year, and they're now down what well below three thousand students when they once had forty five or forty eight thousand some decades ago, and. Uh, uh, and say every semester is smaller and smaller. So they clearly have to do something. And whatever misgivings people have about the Mott Foundation taking over Flint, and some of those may be real, this may be the only uh, only lifesaver they've got. It's uh, it's going to be tougher for them to handle the legacy cost, the operating cost as well. That's true. That's very true, Henry. And yeah. that's a big burden, and it's taxpayers and, and investors look at the situation in Flint it creates a grave uh, trajectory for its fate. Yeah. <clears throat> you make a good point, Henry. When, when, they, when a, a government of any kind, whether it's a city or a school district or otherwise, is shrinking, one of the problems you have is legacy costs because you're having fewer people supporting a larger number of, of retirees. And I think that's true for the city of Flint especially. We've got... What, about 80,000 people now, and we once had almost 200. 
and we're supporting the retirees of a two city of 200,000 from a city of 80,000. Financially, that's a very, very tough situation to be in. And I think I think you're right. The school district's going to face the same kind of situation. Yeah, smaller and smaller. And it was a nice. It was a, <clears throat> a good move on Flint to save itself from. Damage. Yeah, I hope they follow through. I, mean, I know what early on they were, they didn't want to have any part of this new plan. And again, there were some real misgivings and some questions people could raise. But this may be the only uh, only port in the storm. Well, county officials are giving themselves plenty of time to advocate for the renewal of a parks millage next year, voting uh, this last week to add the 10-year .75 mil property tax continuation to the August 2022 ballot. First approved in 1968, the parks millage generates roughly 85% of the general operating budget for the County Parks and Recreation Commission, which operates multiple parks, Crossroads Village and Huckleberry Railroad, form our nature preserve and arboretum and Wolverine campground. The county park system receives no funding from the county's general fund budget. It consists of 11,000 acres of woods, rivers, lakes, trails, beaches, and campgrounds. The commission maintains 25 parks and an additional 15 fishing sites, as well as parts of the Flint River trail system and park areas surrounding it. The millage is what pays to keep the park safe, clean, and well-maintained and gives us the ability to offer programming and nature education, Director Barry June said in an email to uh, MLive, the Flint Journal, without the millage we would have to close all parks and lay off all our staff. Is the park's millage an easy sell or is the commission wise to start campaigning early? Both. Yeah, I think it's actually, no, I, I, I'm... I think that one of the one of the things we do right in Genesee County is the park system, but you can you can never you can never relax and assume you're going to have an automatic yes vote on anything these days. But so it's probably wise to start early. But I I think it should be a relatively easy sell. It's a yeah, very yeah. popular. We need our parks. Yeah. Uh, but but if you recall, Paul, there was a, the the governor sent out uh, appropriate millions of dollars. To a new park to be created in downtown Flint and Meadow Hills. That's right. And that's an enhancement to get this ball rolling and uh, to come up with a great strategy that's uh, agreeable with uh, both the county and the city and so on and so forth and get that ball rolling to save our parks. Yeah, that's one, one more addition there. But again, like I said, I think uh, particularly things like Crossroads Village draw a lot of people in and so. A great asset to the to the county, so I I think it should pass. But as I say, you you can't be can't be overconfident with these kind of things. Well, one more thing I wanted to squeeze in before we uh, take a break and uh, move on to Lansing and Washington. Uh, Tom Skinner might be gone, but that doesn't mean the well-known Flint area sports figure isn't still helping local broadcasting students. The Detroit Sports Media Association has established the Thomas E. Skinner Memorial Broadcasting Scholarship to honor the longtime Flint area personality who died this month at age 63 after uh, undergoing surgery a few days earlier. 
Skinner spent 42 years working in Flint area sports. He served as Comcast Cable's sports director for 27 years and was Montrose's digital media advisor for 12 years. He also broadcast events for the Michigan High School Athletic Association, the Flint Generals, and was the PA announcer at many other local events. This year he called all four games for the NFHS network from the uh, Vehicle City Gridiron Classic at Atwood Stadium in August. The first recipient of the scholarship is Gabe Patterson, a 2021 graduate of uh, Montrose High School. Skinner was the Montrose Digital Media Advisor, and Patterson was one of his students for three years. Patterson will mm. apply the $3,000 scholarship to tuition at Specs Howard School of Broadcasting Arts with an eye on becoming a broadcast technician. Any thoughts or comments? I, uh, Tom Skinner was... Uh, a frequent guest on on this show especially around the Super Bowl he he had actually covered a couple of Super Bowls and he he was yeah. just so such a pleasure to work with he uh, really was yeah I, I I got to know him when I I always go to the to the Mott College basketball games and he 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 broadcast those announced those and I got to know him there and uh, he's a, he's a a great guy to know, a great guy to know, and a great guy to work with. Um, you know, I missed. I I remember Tom really well. He was around our house a lot uh, when my son, uh, he and my son, they went to Pine Run School together, and um, uh, Tom helped to inspire my son because he was all wrapped up in a new situation without uh, friends and stuff like that. Tom came over and took his hand and inspired him to uh, later on to play basketball, to do all the things he wanted while he was an honor student in academics at Clio School. And he later went on to med school. And of course, Tom went on to Northern Michigan, Central Michigan, and got their degrees and came back. And they remained friends for the rest of their life. And every time Tom came back here, he would come by and give my wife a hug because he she really remembered Tom really, really well. And I got a chance to articulate this at Tom's funeral. And I, I, the thing that I said about that is that I regret I never called Tom my son. And when I know he, to me, felt like that. That's hmm. what I told the people in the congregation. That's how closely I felt about Tom. So did my wife and the kids. Great guy. Well, it just... Um it 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 just came as as kind of a shock to me uh, you know i like i say you came on the show several times any you know this is not a show that follows sports a great deal so whenever something came up that was big in the news about sports tom was my go-to guy <laughs> you know mm, he, he yeah. could come on and interpret i remember even uh, you know when we were doing uh, call in uh, versions of the show he would take those calls, and he knew all the stats, and he was just tremendous. And I, it just—it completely shocked me um, when he uh, when he passed away this uh, past week or week or two ago. Um, yeah. At at age sixty-three, that's that's just way too young. That's true. That's true. Anyway, well, if I could if I could just conclude with this, um, when my son died, uh, Doctor Hatter died. Um, Tom Henry, Henry, 
I, I'm going to yeah. ask you to pause that and, and save that story because we're going to go to break. Um, okay. We'll pick it up right there when Thank we you. come back. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. 
Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program. The six-member city council of Hamtramck... Oh, wait a minute. Before I get into into that, I promised to uh, pick up where Henry left off. We were talking about the passing of... uh, Thank you. Um, I just want to say that Tom Skinner... I created a foundation for my son after he died uh, 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 to generate funds in support of a scholarship in his name to benefit Kyle students. That fund was started in 2001, and it's existed all this time, and there's about 15 or 20 years left on it. So I just want you to know the impact oh. that Sumner has had on Kyle school, and he's had on, the, on uh, Skinner. our family and stuff like that. And you, all of this stuff... Is publicly known, so it's something that's not skewed away from. Oh, that's worth knowing, Henry. Yes. Well, as we move on, we start looking at some things around the state. The six-member city council of Hamtramck will consist of all Muslims starting in January, another historic first for the metro Detroit city. Known for its sizable immigrant population, the newly elected mayor, Amir Ghalib, 42, is also Muslim, which means all of the city's elected officials will be Muslim. And in a historic victory, a 31-year-old state legislator born to immigrants from Lebanon defeated a 66-year-old veteran politician to become the first mayor of Arab descent of Dearborn, a city long known for its sizable population with roots in the Middle East. Taking the stage at a community center named after one of the founders of the Islamic Center of America, State Representative Abdullah Hamoud, a Democrat from Dearborn, declared this is a new era in Dearborn. Hamoud defeated Gary uh, Waranchak, a uh, former state representative and former Wayne County Commissioner, with 54.6% of the vote um, to... uh, Waranchak's uh, 45.2%, according to results from the city of Dearborn. Hamoud is also the city's first Muslim to be elected mayor. Is this representative of the changing demographics in Detroit suburbs? Oh, I think it may be. I mean, Hamtramck used to be known as primarily a Polish suburb for years ago, and now Muslim. I know Dearborn, of course, has always had a large Arab population, and so I think it does reflect the changing changing patterns. Yeah, the only thing that I, I hope not, never happens is uh, that they uh, completely uh, change the structure of their schools so that uh, other kids who are not Muslims can't go to their schools. That uh, the, the law disfavors that. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. public schools must remain for all kids. And the way that uh, we get caught up in these things is we don't 
observe them, pay much attention to them, and it happens overnight, and we can't reverse the process. Thank you. Um, well, let's see. Uh, moving on. Michigan's redistricting commission advanced new maps to a comment period required before a final vote, with some proposing minor tweaks to earlier draft maps and others making major changes, such as the restoration of majority black districts where the group had previously eliminated them. During a public hearing tour, uh, across the state to solicit feedback on its first set of maps, the commission was repeatedly told its proposed districts would disenfranchise black voters, particularly those in Detroit, by lumping the city's predominantly black neighborhoods with mostly white suburban communities. No state legislative districts currently go past 8 Mile. At its uh, hearings, the Commission sought input on four U.S. House, three state Senate, and three state House maps, as well as those drawn by individual commissioners. How is the new system working? Well, certainly degenerating controversy. I mean, we'll see the final results. I, I still have some hopes that it will generally, it will genuinely produce some com more competitive districts than we've had in the past. But, you know, one interesting problem with this idea of, of uh, maintaining minority districts in, in Flint and Detroit is that you, you have two conflicting goals, uh, uh, two, two conflicting things called packing and cracking. If you pack in all the African-American Democratic voters in one area, you will elect minorities, but you may also elect a lot of Republicans in the outlying districts, so Democrats often are, have, are squeamish about that. On the other hand, if you break up the African-American voters in Detroit and Flint, opposed by the cities in large part. You may elect more Democrats and, and have more competitive districts, but you may not have as many minority members of, of the legislature. So there are two, two exactly conflicting goals in these, in, in these, these yeah. maps. And, and I, I think the, the, the trend for young people, at least, uh, the people who will lead the country in 20 years from now, um, they don't want to see us broken and split into just unique districts based on culture, a race, something like that. They want to see the they want to see districts that are designed the way that people fill in the void in districts. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the most stable part of governance is having that kind of a structure because any other kind of structure that's designed by politics is always going to be unfair. Yeah, there's, there's no avoiding the politics here. And I, I recall in Flint a few weeks ago they had the public hearing for some, on some of the maps, and at least most of the, uh, the folks, folks testifying that I saw were talking about, you know, let's not break Flint up, let's keep Flint together as a community of interest, and I understand that up to a point. But it, if you do that, it may also mean that you have uh, what was once a Democratic county becoming much more Republican county, uh, with the out county dominating. So I say there's conflicting goals there, and I, 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 there's no easy solution, I don't think. But again, I, I do. Even though it's been kind of messy, I still do have hopes that, that whatever the final results are, that they do produce more genuinely more competitive districts than we've had in the past, because uh, I think it's really important for the really for the civility of government to have people yeah. have the real election be in November, not in the primary. Yeah. 
I agree with that. Well, Governor Gretchen Whitmer called on the auto insurance industry to send refunds that could total billions of dollars to all insured motorists in the state. The board of the Michigan Catastrophic Claims Association will consider the governor's request, but Whitmer is asking for a refund that is both much sooner and much larger, larger than what the, the law requires. Uh, said Kevin Clinton, the association's executive director. But a Republican lawmaker said Whitmer is playing politics in a way that could put catastrophically injured auto accident victims at further risk. Whitmer said the refunds should result from the bipartisan auto insurance package that she signed into law in 2019. Is this making sure people get the savings they were promised? Hmm... I, I don't know. I, I, I do. I, the honest, I think the honest answer is there certainly is some politics in that because the election coming up yeah. next year. I would have the same response. That I, yeah. I just don't see the, I don't see the stratum that supports this idea. I, I, I need to see how that was built and what it all means. So it could be good. It could be bad. But I just don't know enough. Well, Governor Gretchen Whitmer on Friday vetoed Republican-backed bills that would have created scholarship accounts for K-12 through students to pay for educational expenses, including private school and tutoring and given tax credits to people and corporations that donate to the program. The veto, which was expected, came the same week proponents of the legislation preemptively launched a ballot drive that would enable, would enable the GOP-led legislature to enact identical citizen initiative bills without her signature. The Democratic governor said the bills would cut state revenue by as much as $500 million in 2022 alone. Why should these donations to fund education qualify for tax credits? I, yeah, I, That's the I, only I, way I you're going to get the money. You, yeah, you I, have I, to. I, I think it's, it's going to hurt, hurt public education. Yeah. And there's, yeah, and there's, uh, there's constitutional issues about whether or not if these, the tax break for private schools is, in effect, the indirect funding of private schools, which is a violation of Michigan's constitution, of a private religious schools. But then, you know, uh, we have guaranteed our Constitution, federal Constitution, requires or mandates that American children in K-12 are all entitled to a free and proper good education. But if you, if you um, somehow reduce the kids who go to Catholic schools or private schools, from that funding process, then you do a disservice to the people uh, who are students, kids, in our school district. Uh, we have guaranteed to have a proper and free education just based on that. We need to think about that and maybe uh, think of uh, ways that we can fund equal amounts of money for all of our kids, no matter what they believe or, and, you know, and, or where they live or who they are. It needs to be fair and equitable. 
Well, we have to take a break here to uh, for the top of the hour uh, show ID and so forth. Um, Bill, are we uh, are, are we doing too much uh, local and state stuff for you? Yanking. No, not at all. I, actually, I mean, it, it, it's interesting to listen. I, I don't, I don't join in because I don't really know the exact particular issues. But uh, you know, everything, everything. I mean, what Henry just said there about making sure that the education. I mean, there, there it is. That's that's the bottom line. And so, well, we'll get into uh, some more national stuff in the second half, which is coming up right after this. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 